Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. All right. Hey, everybody. How are we? You sure? <laughs> it's good to see you. Uh, my name is Brian. Uh, like Josh said, uh, it is a... Hold on. Let me, let me set this up. I, I can't do a couple things at once, so let me focus on you now. Okay, so it's an absolute joy and honor to be here. I know you have no idea who I am, uh, but I was kind of there at like your birth, and now I'm here. How many years have y'all been going now? Four years. So I'm kind of like that weird uncle who like is sort of, uh, you know, you're like, I've never met you, but why is this man like crying and hugging me? And it's because like, oh my gosh, look at like you growing up. And so... It's an absolute joy and uh, honor to be here, and I uh, love you guys very, very much, and um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's an absolute privilege. Uh, if, if that first introduction made you awkward, I'm gonna, made you feel awkward, I'm going to pivot here for a second, and uh, let, me, let me go with this photo here as I introduce this idea. Uh, can we go with that first photo? Okay, so uh, that's me on the left, that's my buddy Evan on the right, and then in the middle, does anybody know who that is? Yes, no. The illustration's going to die if you don't know who he is. Okay. Uh, that's Von Miller. Uh, Von Miller, uh, Super Bowl 50 winning, uh, MVP winning, uh, Von Miller. And I'm not starting here to try to project to you that I'm much cooler than I actually am. This was just sort of a one-off, really weird experience. I was at a thing. Von Miller walked in. Uh, I'm a very, like, socially anxious person. Evan is the opposite of that on the spectrum. I was sort of cowering in the corner, and Evan was like, I'm going to go talk to Von Miller, and he did. He was talking to him about Yeezys, and he was talking to him about agriculture. And finally, Evan asked, Von, can we get a picture? I'm literally still cowering in the corner, and uh, I think to myself, I will never forgive myself if I don't uh, get in this picture with Evan and Von Miller. And I literally sprint from behind, like, wait, 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 wait. So actually, you know how, like, on uh, iPhone, like if you hold down a live photo, you can see like the three seconds that preceded the photo. If you hold down this photo and hold down it live, it's me sprinting from behind to get into this particular photo. Now, I met Von Miller and what happened, this was a few years ago, what happened for the months following is I would try to casually drop that I met Von Miller in as many conversations as possible. You know, like, oh, speaking of the Broncos, speaking of agriculture, speaking of famous people, whatever, you know, and you try to drop this and I would tell this story over and over again by this time that I met Von Miller. Now, here's what would happen. Every single time I would tell people that I met Von Miller, there was always a question. You wanna guess what the question is? You have any idea? What do you think it is? Where? No, it wasn't where. It was, it was, it was a, a what question. What is he like? That's what people always ask when you meet somebody famous, right? What is he like? Was he nice? Is he not nice? Is he weird? Was he, like, what is he like? People wanted to know what Von Miller is really like. So you want to know the question of what Von Miller is really like? You ready for this? I have no idea. I got a picture with him. That was it. Like, like I met him for seven seconds awkwardly, and then that was it. Now, here's the point that I'm trying to make before we dive into this passage that Josh just read for us, is that there is a difference between knowing something about someone and actually knowing someone, okay? I'm gonna say it again. There's a difference between knowing something about someone and knowing someone. So I know something about Von Miller because I watched him play on TV. 
I can Wikipedia him. I know he does have an interest in agriculture. I know that he won the Super Bowl. I know that he, you know, would sack the quarterback and do like wildly inappropriate dances after doing that. I know some things about Von Miller, but like I don't know the heart of Von Miller. I just know about him. But if you, like there's some people I do know. Like I know my friends, I know my wife, I know my kids, I have four kids. I, I can tell you, for example, my son, I have three girls and a boy, I can tell you my son named Bear, who I always tell people his personality matches his name. I can tell you that Bear, even as I was getting him ready this morning to go to our church, the reality is, is like, I'm gonna tell you that because we have pancakes, I know Bear's heart to such a degree, he's going to want to be asked if I want to cut them or not. I know the answer to that will be yes. I know that he'll want them cut in a particular way. I know that he'll want the syrup also asked about. I'll know that if he wants it on the side or on the pancakes, because I don't just know about my son, I know my son. Does that make sense? You track with me, this is very important to understand. There's a difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody. Now here's the key question as we transition to this text. Here's the question is as it pertains to the person and work of Jesus, is Jesus somebody that you're supposed to know about or you're supposed to know, right? Which, which is it? Is he kind of this George Washington-esque historical figure that you acquire facts and information about, or is he like a person that you were meant to enter into relationship and know? And I think when you dive into this passage, when Jesus puts on display his heart, we're going to study the last half of this because I think it's so full. If I did the whole thing, uh, you'd be here much longer than you would want to be here, okay? But when, when Jesus says, let me let you in on my heart, this is actually the one time the totality of the Gospels, Jesus says explicitly, I want to tell you about my heart. And almost what I want you to imagine, I, I was thinking about this because I, um, I had lunch with Evan at Post Oak here in the Highlands. They made a barbecue at Post Oak. We had lunch there on Wednesday. And it was interesting, right? We hadn't seen each other for a while. We were catching up. And you kind of just, you're, you're talking about things. And you know, like, when somebody is so safe and you feel so close to them, you start actually, like, talking about things. You go from talking about to actually talking. And there's this transition in the conversation where you crack open your heart just a little bit and you let each other in. That's the kind of vulnerability we're meant to have in mind when Jesus says, let me, let me, let me tell you about my heart. Let me tell you what, what it is that I love. Let me tell you about, if you really want to not just know about me, but you want to know me, here are the things that you, you need to know. So we're going to dive into this. Let, let me say this on the front end. Um, I actually have this book in my bag because I'm rereading it right now. But a guy named Dane Ortland wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly a couple of years ago that basically anything I say here is probably intentionally or unintentionally plagiarized from, okay? So like if this concept of a, of a robust understanding of the gentleness and the kindness and the accessibility of Jesus is enticing to you or if it's difficult for you to kind of envision God as being somebody other than uh, a, sort of a disapproving, wagging his finger, uh, you know, cold and distant authoritarian figure, uh, that book is really, really good. Again, I'm going to say it again. It's called Gentle and Lowly. It's by a guy named Dane Ortland. It's really good. I never reread books. I'm rereading it now for the third time. It is really, really good. As we work our way through this passage, what we're going to do is we're going to ask three questions. Okay, three questions. Let me see if I can remember on the front end. Uh, who is this for? What are we supposed to know and what are we supposed to do? Okay, who is this for? What are we supposed to know and what are we supposed to 
do. So who, who is this for? Now, here's the complex thing when you talk about a concept like the gentleness of Jesus, is that a lot of times what can happen is the concept of Jesus' gentleness can be not only juxtaposed, but put almost at odds with the reality that Jesus judges. Almost even in Matthew 11, it seems like there's a bipolarity of Jesus, where if you look at the passage that Josh did last week, did a great job, enjoyed listening to it. Uh, you know, Jesus pronounces really severe judgment and then you have this passage where he's like, and actually I'm a really sweet guy. And it's like, what is going on with this guy? And a lot of times in the cultural Christian moment in which we exist, we a lot of times try to make it one or the other, right? Like either Jesus is gentle or Jesus judges. But the reality is, is there is a richness and a robustness and a complexity to Jesus, as well as he relates to different kinds of people in different kinds of ways. I know that's mind blowing. So, for example, Paul dives into the complexity of this in Romans chapter 12, where he says, Note then the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. That what we're not talking about here is a, 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 a convictionless kindness. We're, we're talking about a thoughtful, robust kindness with a backbone that has a, a, a deep substance to it as we continue to elaborate on this reality. So, you know, like last week, for example, in case this is like a little bit confusing of Jesus, what are you, what are you doing? Like last week, Jesus pronounces severe judgment towards the hard-hearted, towards the women and men that are exposed to the, uh, 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 the works of God where he has put his grace and gospel on display. And they say, I don't want anything to do with that. Like there's certain people, no matter what God does, it's not enough. And he says, there's judgment there. So last week is for the hard-hearted. Okay, who is, who is this for this week? Well, if there's the hard-hearted categorically, there's also another category of people, the broken-hearted, the weary-hearted, the tired of heart. The, the people who feel like, you know, you might be coming in in this place of, uh, I'm tired, Life feels heavy. I feel overwhelmed. If I get asked to do one more thing, I'm going to flip out. And I'm kind of wondering if anybody really sees me or cares about me or wants to lift my burdens for me or if all they want is to extract out of me just a little bit more productivity. Jesus says, not to the hard-hearted, but to the broken-hearted, and the heavy-hearted, here's my heart towards you, is that I am gentle and lowly. Now let's dive into this. What, what are we supposed to know about this, okay? So you're coming in here, heavy, life feels hard, broken-hearted. What, what are we supposed to know? Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy-laden, and I will give you rest. All right, now let's, let's try to wrap our mind around this. So, so Jesus says, here's what we're supposed to know, point two. What should we know? Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. I am gentle and lowly in heart. So if you are weary and heavy laden, your, uh, your struggles are not an imposition or an intrusion upon the person and the work of Jesus, but are actually greatly, he, he, he's one of the, you know those friends who like when everybody else is running away from your struggles, you have that one precious friend, you hope you have that one precious friend, you maybe long for that precious friend who runs to you in the midst of that struggle to be near to you. That's who Jesus is. 
He's saying, your problems are not problematic to me. Actually, I run to you, not away from you. I am, when you are weary and heavy laden, I am gentle and lowly in heart. In that book that I referenced, Dane Ortland, he says this. He says, gentle and lowly, this according to his own testimony, is Christ's very heart. This is who he is. Tender, open, welcoming, accommodating, understanding, willing. If we are asked to say only one thing about who Jesus is, we would be, wonder, we would be honoring Jesus' own teaching if our, if our answer is gentle and lowly. Now, let's understand those two words. That's very important. Okay, so gentle and lowly. So Jesus first describes himself as being gentle towards those who come to him. As you've worked your way through Matthew, you might remember the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Jesus talks about how blessed are the meek. He actually uses the same word here that, of the gentleness that describes him. I think that for, for many of us, it is maybe difficult to envision God, particularly in moments of our struggles, as being gentle. We tend to think the opposite. Even I had lunch with another friend this past week, and he, I didn't grow up in church, but he grew up in church. Um, and it was, you know, some parts of that were beautiful and some parts of that were really hard. And he was saying, for example, like every time he would get sick, his mom would ask him the question, what sort of lesson do you think God is teaching you? Which, which, trans, which, which, and he and his mom have since reconciled, which was cool. But he was saying that, like, he grew up with this understanding of God that, like, every bad thing in his life was because of something he had done. And God was not gentle. He was sort of this distant authoritarian drill sergeant figure who's kind of always trying to brutally teach him a lesson. But we take Jesus' own words. When we come to him and are weary and heavy laden, he is gentle towards us. What also makes us difficult is we exist in a culture where a lot of times what our belief is is that transformation comes through ruthlessness. Right? If you think about this, even the new year, I know we're a few years, you know, we're already like have already forgotten about New Year's resolutions, even though it was like six weeks ago, right? You're like, that was six weeks ago? It was. Isn't that crazy? That's how quickly you forget about them. But a lot of times the rhetoric, maybe it's Instagram stories or, you know, where, you know whatever the podcast is, the, the rhetoric a lot of times is if you can just sort of hate yourself and your life enough, you'll finally tap into the willpower to change. If I can just sort of hate the way I look to such a degree, I can finally get in shape. If I can just hate how miserable my life is, I finally can maybe secure that degree and experience a quality of life I've always wanted. A lot of times we are led to believe by the culture that transformation comes through self-hatred. Or if we look outward, it's maybe harder to see this in ourselves, but it's easier to see it in the way that we view others, where a lot of times what we're led to believe is the vehicle of transformation and the people around me that I believe need to change is if I can just be aggressive enough, maybe passive aggressive or aggressive aggressive enough, if I can just say something so strong and so cutting, finally they'll stop doing that thing. Can I get an amen from the married people? Right? Where, where you... You know, probably the first three times you observe that thing, you know, I don't know. I don't know why this example is coming to mind, but maybe it'll land. You know, like, like when, when people get married, there's always one person who's punctual and there's always one person who isn't punctual. That's just the hilarious joke that God does. Right? And so, and so like, whatever it is, you know, maybe you're the less punctual one who's rebuking, uh, you know, the, the, the more punctual one for being so uptight about everything, or maybe the more punctual one who's saying, like, hey, we're not gonna have any more friends if we keep showing up 30 minutes late for dinners. 
whatever it is, you know, probably the first two or three times you tried being kind about it. You're like, you did your best. Like, sweetie, I want to talk to you about something. Like, you, but it didn't work. And it's easy to go to this place of believing, well, gentleness didn't work. And so I don't have any other tools in my tool belt other than a hammer. It's time to drop it. Even if you think broadly in terms of cultural rhetoric, political conversations, religious conversations, you know, again, a lot of times all that is in somebody's arsenal are grenades of truth in their opinion that believe if they just get bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger, and if we meme you and if we tear you down and we mock you and we shame you, uh, somehow it'll lead to you coming to our side, which polarity is only growing, isn't it? So, so what Jesus is saying here is radical in our cultural moment to say that actually like what he offers us in times where we most desperately need change of ourselves and life circumstances is gentleness. It's, it's an echoing of what Paul says, for example, in Romans 2, 4, that it's the kindness of God that leads to our transformation. It's the kindness of God that leads us to, the word he uses is repentance. So he's gentle to us. Then he also says he's lowly. He's gentle and he's lowly. Lowly uh, sometimes is translated humble, but sometimes when we hear humble, we think like, all shucks, I'm not good at anything. That's, that's, that's not really the, the, the idea that Jesus has here. It's not that sort of expression of humility. It's almost the expression of humility that means accessibility. That Jesus is accessible when your life is burdened and heavy. It means like he's the friend that you hope picks up the phone and he's eager to pick up the phone and get together. Orland, he, he says this, he says, this Greek word refers not to humility as a virtue, but to humility in the sense of destitution or being thrust downward by life circumstance. So he is, um, you know, if you've ever gone through something really hard, which I'm sure you all have, right, because you've been doing life in a broken, fallen world, life in a broken, fallen world is entering into the arena of the tension that life is tragic and God is faithful, and as you experience life's tragedies, the greatest gift that you can receive is somebody who has gone through something similar, is willing to get together, and looks you in the eyes and says, I know how you feel. Right? That's, that's why support groups work, for example, is it's groups of men and women getting together who can kind of just say, I, I get how you feel. And a lot of times what you'll discover is people who have entered into the arena of trial and exited on the other side, not just surviving but thriving, possess within them this beautiful compassion and accessibility and willingness that when they hear about hard things happening in people's lives, they don't distance themselves from those people, but they run towards those people because they know what it's like to be alone with your suffering. If you have somebody like that in your life, you are one of the richest people that's ever existed. And the point that Jesus is making is when life is, 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 is heavy, when you feel weary and heavy laden, the character and the nature of Jesus is that he is that friend that you want to call. He picks up the phone and he says, when can we get together? I'm ready whenever. This is, again, a radically differentiated posture towards a lot of times what we experience in the culture because the reality is, is that for most people in culture, the more power you get and the more influence you get, the more intentional you get about distancing yourself from bad things, right? 
Like you try to build walls as much as possible of like, I don't want to deal with the mess of this world. And Jesus, this is the upside down nature of the kingdom. Jesus, in the midst of being the most powerful, influential person who's ever lived in the history of the world, does not distance himself from his brokenness, but actually says, if you want to know my heart, you need to know that when you are weary and heavy laden, I am accessible to you. Whenever you need me, pick up the phone and call me and I'll pick up and we'll get together. If you ever had a friend like this, you know it's one of the greatest gifts in the world. So that's what he says. You're weary, okay, for weary, heavy laden, life is heavy, I'm overwhelmed, I'm anxious, I'm depressed, I'm having dreams that are waking me up at three in the morning as I'm thinking about these things that that weigh me down. That for those people that will come to Jesus, what they are met with is a gentleness and an accessibility. So, who is this for? Weary and heavy laden people. What do we know? We know that Jesus' heart is gentle and lowly. So what do we do? This is a major theme in Matthew. One of the things that Jesus is explicitly passionate about in Matthew is it's not just enough to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So for example, in Matthew 7, when Jesus is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, like the most famous teaching maybe in the history of the world, he's basically like, oh, and by the way, if you don't actually do the things I just told you to do, you're kind of dumb. Like he says it in a more gentle way than that, but he basically says like, you're foolish. You're, you're, you're not going to be able to survive the storms of life because what Christianity is is not just about the accumulation of information. It's an invitation to a relationship with a God who is alive and invites us to learn from him and follow him and actually do the things he tells us to do. Isn't that crazy? So like Jesus all throughout Matthew is like, I'm telling you these things now, do them. So we should always ask the question when we're studying Matthew, what are you telling me to do? Okay, so he tells us what to do here. We don't even have to hypothesize. He tells us explicitly what we're supposed to do. So what are we supposed to do? Two things. One, we come to Jesus, okay? So he starts this, this, this passage off in verse 28 saying, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So I'm gonna be very overly simplistic here because it's, it's, it's sometimes easy to overlook the simple things of the scriptures, but if we want to receive the rest of Jesus, we have to be willing to come to Jesus, okay? I, I'm gonna say it again, as silly as it seems. If you wanna receive the rest of Jesus, you actually have to be willing to come to Jesus. Now, the reason that I'm being explicit about this is because for a lot of us, we would rather find mechanisms to cope rather than actually come to Jesus. So a lot of times when life feels heavy, we feel weary, heavy laden, we find these mechanisms of coping because we don't wanna live a life of neediness and surrender and kind of powerlessness to come to Jesus and invite his power to break into our lives. We would rather cope rather than, to, than come. Now, how do, we, how do we cope? There's a lot of ways that we cope, but I'll just kind of name two in particular. Denial and dissociation. Denial and dissociation are, well, I was gonna say great coping mechanisms. They're terrible coping mechanisms, but they're great examples of coping mechanisms. Okay, so denial. Denial is just being like things are bad and you don't have maybe the emotional vocabulary to be like, actually things are bad. And instead, you know, you're even in an environment like this one and you're making small talk after the service and somebody's like, how are things? And your mom's getting ready to die and you're like, great! I'm doing great! Because like, you just maybe don't have the vocabulary to be like, I am not okay. Um, Because there's something about the emotional vulnerability of that space that what feels maybe better or more comforting is to just kind of lie. You know, like I'm not trying to be 
unkind, but it, but, but it is a, a lie where you're not actually doing well. So a lot of us exist in this place of denial to pretend like hard things aren't hard, or sometimes what we'll do is dissociate. Now that is sort of the drug of choice of Denverites, is dissociation. Dissociation is the inability to exist in reality and to self-medicate, distract ourselves from the stuff of real life, okay? So this is life starts to get painful and the pain is intolerable and rather than going to a place of neediness and dependency on Jesus, we're talking drinking, drugs, distraction, recreating, whatever it is where we can have this fleeting kind of dopamine hit of comfort to be able to distract us ourselves from the reality, not just of our brokenness, but of our neediness. And we need somebody actually outside of us and greater than us to enter into our lives to comfort us with his gentle and lowly heart. So I just want to say this very explicitly. Look, if if you've been doing life, you've experienced brokenness because that's the nature of the reality in which we exist. And consequently, rather than you pretending like everything is great, and rather than you distracting yourself with drinking drugs, recreating, online shopping, there's a, there's, there's a million different drugs of choice, what you do is you enter into the arena of reality because it's in the arena of reality where God meets us. And we wrestle with him. And he blesses us. And he gives us new identities. And we emerge on the other side of what initially felt like it was going to be a death with a resurrection. And holier and pure and more dependent than we could have ever asked or imagined. So we come to Jesus. I want, I want you to even, let's, let's pause for a second. Think about that thing that made it difficult to fall asleep last night with. What was sort of your action step in mind of what to do with it? You know, was it to like overly control? Was it like, okay, if I just have one more conversation, it'll disappear? Was it, I don't know, to find some sort of coping mechanism? Was it just like, I'm gonna think about this and think about this and think about this and just sort of the mental churn of anxiety? Even just very practically, like, did you pray? Did you, did you ask the question maybe of God of just saying like, hey, I'm, I'm really having trouble going to sleep. Would you, I think it's Psalm 4 talks about this, would you like, protect me and guard me so that this night I don't have any more bad dreams and instead like can wake up refreshed because you you watched over me when I can't even watch over myself. Did you claim the promise of Matthew 11 from the very words of Jesus that he is gentle and lowly of heart and said, will you be gentle and accessible to me in this moment because like I got to get up at seven in the morning to like have coffee ready for my church tomorrow. So we come to Jesus, and then two, we're going to use Jesus' words. We put on Jesus' yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, here's the thing is uh, this is an urban church, and probably, I'm not sure, like, your upbringings, but, like, this is not an agrarian environment, right? Like, you might watch Yellowstone. My wife and I watch Yellowstone, so you feel like you're existing in an agrarian environment. But, uh, you know, for most of us, that's not our experience. So what is a yoke? Let me show you what an image of a yoke is. Can we bring up this picture? Okay, so this is that wood thing. That wood thing is a yoke, and what it would do is it would unite two oxen together, for example, uh, for the sake of accomplishing a particular task, 
It, it reflects a deep uh, commitment, intimacy, uh, uh, like we're not going to be separated. We are going to work together to do something. And what Jesus is saying is when you're weary and heavy laden, it's the invitation to feel this interconnected with Jesus. Like it, it's, it's not just sort of like I'll take him or leave him. It's like we are bound to one another for life. Now, let, let, me, let me say this. Just to take a step back, the reality is, is what the Bible teaches is that it is inevitable that you will be yoked to someone or something. Because what would be easy to hear in the moment of kind of cultural independence, and I ain't gonna be yoked to anybody. That's kind of like what some of y'all might be thinking, right? Like, I don't like that. That makes me feel uncomfortable. And, you know, I can be yoked to myself. I'm just yoked to myself right now in this season of life. The, the reality is, is the Bible teaches, you will and you are yoked to someone or something. The Bible, for example, talks about this, says, um, okay, the Bible refers to those who are yoked to false gods, for example, Numbers 25, yoked to an oppressive government in Leviticus 26, yoked to a particular burden or addiction, yoked to false or bad teaching, yoked to someone in marriage. The, the point that I'm trying to make, and the, is really, I think, the point that Jesus is trying to make is that when you are yoked to someone or something other than Jesus, life is going to feel heavy, unnecessarily heavy, like opting into heaviness. And hey, life in a broken, fallen world is heavy enough without opting into it, okay? And what Jesus is saying is that it's an invitation to have some self-awareness of saying, who or what am I yoked to? Do I need to sort of exit out of that particular relationship. And it might not mean a total like ending of that relationship or you gotta quit your job and never work again, but it might mean a, a reevaluation of how much emphasis you're putting on that particular thing and to say, I wanna be yoked to Jesus because only the yoke of Jesus is light, is light. And let me say what this isn't and what it is. What it isn't is some false promise of Jesus where he's saying, hey, believe me and life will not have any difficulty. What he's saying is, be united to me and you can even walk through the valley of the shadow of death and emerge on the other side, golden for the glory of God. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so there's this invitation, some evaluation of saying, okay, if that's true what the Bible is saying about me, then I'm yoked to someone or something. What is that? Where, where, to where does my heart drift? And what would it look like to break free of those bonds and be united to Jesus, yoked to him, and to say, this, well, it's not there anymore, but that's on me, not you. And, and to say that there is that degree of intimacy and dependency that I am only going to go where you go. And there is nothing in this life, particularly the heavy stuff of this life. You know, this is the real irony, is that a lot of times Christianity in our city is sort of a tolerance of Jesus until it gets to, like, the most complex stuff, like money, sex, work. Like, that's the hard stuff. Why would we exclude him from that? That's, like, where we need him the most. And to say that with Jesus, I will yoke myself to him, and there is no area of my life where I will not joyfully submit and believe and follow and enjoy working alongside learning and following him.
Okay, so that's what we're supposed to do. We come to him, and then we unite to him in this very intimate analogy. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask a few questions, then we're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna respond. Um, this might seem really basic and simple, but I want to give you the gift of like two minutes of maybe thinking about this. Okay, so. Um, Here's what I'm gonna do. One, ask yourself this question, what feels really heavy right now? And heavy might mean anxious about, worried about, waking up about, um, always thinking about, has a disproportionate degree of influence over your life about. Okay, what, what feels heavy would be question one. Question two, would be, what have I done with that? What, what, what has kind of been my action plan with that? Has it been to just anxiously talk to other people about it? Has it been anxiously keeping the conversation in my own mind? Has it been self-medicating in some particular way to just sort of like numb ourselves to believe that that thing isn't there? And what I want to give is just a few uh, uh, moments of silence to, in this space, right here, right now, whatever that thing is, to extend the offer of invitation to Jesus to enter into that part of your heart and your mind and your spirit and soul. And really, that's a bad way to put it, uh, because you don't need to invite Jesus. He invites you, <laughs> like he does right here, right? He's like, come to me. So he's extended to you an invitation. Will you say yes? That's the question. Will we say yes to what Jesus says here? in Matthew 11. So I want you to think about that. What is heavy? What have I done? Have I accepted Jesus' invitation to let him carry the heavy things of my life? Jesus, we love you and we're thankful that you're alive and changing our lives and your presence is right here, right now in this moment. We're thankful that we uh, are not meant just to know about you, but we're meant to know you. And I think what is inseparably interconnected with knowing you is entering into these moments of vulnerability with you, with your heart, and what you birth is something deeply, deeply fresh in our lives. Uh, what you birth are testimonies and stories of the fresh work you've done. That's, that's what changes <laughs> uh, knowing about you to like knowing you and being able to speak authentically and freshly about the work that you are risen Lord and Savior are doing. And so what I want to ask you to do is in your kindness, in the lives of the women and men in this room, would you meet with them? And as they open their hearts to you, would your heart meet theirs? 
And would the fruit of that be that they would taste and see that you were good and they would tangibly experience that the heavy things of life are carried by you. Thank you for being gentle to us. Thank you for being accessible to us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for resurrecting for us. We pray that your spirit would lead us now in this time. We ask these things in your powerful name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.